What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. Did you realize that we have Ozuna, Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own? Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very well. Not, not sure if I mentioned it to you at all at the little Super Bowl gathering Sunday, but I am, in fact, excited that we signed Marcelo Zuna. So I, I did not realize that. I'm Thank you for telling me, and uh, I hope that you haven't forgotten that you've told me. So uh, thank you. Well, you know, Graham, I just, I just wanted to make sure my opinion is clear, that I'm happy about signing Ozuna. And we will get into that later in the show. But while we're on the Super Bowl, I'm also happy that another one of my predictions came true. And the WWE Royal Rumble was, I don't know, 20 times more entertaining than the Super Bowl. Like, I would say some Tampa Bay fans would even agree with that statement. So... Glad that's over and done with, but, you know, I just feel good to get a win every now and then, and my predictions game has been pretty strong the last year or so. Yeah, I was about to say, you're you're no false prophet. Usually when you call something in the last, I would say, yeah, in the last year, yeah, you've usually been right. Um, I'm trying to think of other instances where that's actually true, but my gut tells me that you are correct. Well, the other thing about being a decent prophet is you just throw a lot of there are a lot of stuff out there, and most of it doesn't stick. But when it does stick, you make sure everyone knows that you said it and it was recorded. Because otherwise, people, you know, people put two and two together. So, yeah, I mean, it was a no competition. That that Super Bowl was just a real, real, uh, as our past president said, boring. Yeah, first half was okay, and then the second half, it was like just all Tampa Bay. KC can't do anything. Um, the pass rush of Tampa Bay was incredible. I think they got something like 38 pressures on Mahomes. It seemed like every damn play he dropped back, there were two or three guys on him. And then there's these these receivers for Kansas City, Mahomes would make these otherworldly throws, and they just drop them. So anytime there was a chance for – and they were accurate – and so anytime there was a chance for actual drama or for Kansas City to get back in the game, uh, they just couldn't put it together. It was uh, truly a pathetic display. Well, it just it, and Graham and I just did our little uh, pre-show uh, planning session, and we said we weren't going to talk Falcons. But that being said, it just shows you the importance of having a real offensive line. And also and, of how and a real defensive line, a real defensive line. Play. And it's like you could literally have Patrick Mahomes, who most everyone agrees is the most dynamic quarterback in the game. But it doesn't matter if he's scrambling. I think I heard like 30 something times on like 55 dropbacks, something insane. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter who's back there if uh, you can't keep him up. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I once again we said we weren't gonna get into Falcons, but I had to, I had to bring up something because I got not even really in a Twitter argument, but uh, a Twitter back and forth with one of the writers at the Falcoholic this week, who writes good articles. I, like it wasn't like a bad thing. No one was calling each other names or anything like that. But it was either the day after the Super Bowl or two days after, and he wrote an article about how uh, 
basically that now that Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl with old ass Tom Brady, it's like, well, you can. This proves that you can still build around Matt Ryan. And it wasn't to say that you know that's all there is to it or anything like that. But he's just saying this is an example of an older quarterback that the team was built around, particularly on the offensive, obviously the offensive side of the ball with bringing in all those receivers or Antonio Brown and Gronk and Leonard Fournette and uh, guys like that. And I wanted to get your opinion, Adam, on if you think the Falcons could still potentially build around Matt Ryan. He could still be the quarterback for another four or five years. Four or five years seems a little extreme to me. But if you're built, if you're building around a quarterback, you know that's what you're hoping for. And I, I, might, I would not be surprised if Brady's still playing until he's forty six or forty seven at this point. He had one of the best seasons of his career. Yeah, Tom Brady's Tom Brady though. Like that's what I was saying to him. I was like, Brady's a freak. You know, Brady is a w- once in a lifetime sort of guy. You don't, you don't get people like that. And then he was saying pretty much the precedence. You know, it's like Matt's been more durable than guys like Philip Rivers or Roethlisberger or Drew Brees. And why couldn't he play that long? And it's like, yeah. But is he going to be as like, Brady's better at 43 than Matt is at 36 or however old Matt is? I mean, look, if you have an amazing defense like Tampa Bay does and a huge offensive line with big running backs, then yeah, like there's plenty of examples of old quarterbacks who can't do much winning Super Bowls. Look at Peyton Manning in his last year. And, yeah, I mean Matt, well, Matt Ryan. In fairness, out- Brady also Brady threw like three touchdowns in the Super Bowl. He had a good game. Yeah, I, but I hear what I, you're I'm saying. just saying like you could, you don't need to have the best quarterback in the world to win a Super Bowl. And there's plenty of examples recently of you know these great talents like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes this year not not being able to get it done. It's not having a good young mobile quarterback doesn't mean you're going to win a Super Bowl. So a, a lot of pieces have to fall into place and yes the quarterback's the most important position on the field but you got to have a lot of moving parts around him so I mean it's it's I understand what the writer is saying but it's it's a silly point like I still say if you throw Matt Ryan in that Tampa Bay team they're in the playoffs no doubt I'm not I won't say it like I said last week that you win the Super Bowl but you know Anything can happen if a defense gets hot at the right time of year, just like Tampa Bay's did, just like the Falcons' Super Bowl defense did. So I guess that's that's my yeah. general thoughts there, Graham. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. And another thing to keep in mind is just the pressure that Brady has faced compared to Matt Ryan over the course of his career. So Brady has played 21 years. In 21 years, Brady has been sacked 521 times. This does not include the playoffs. So, on average, that's 24 sacks a year. And in the last three years, he hasn't been sacked more than 27 times. You know, compare that to Matt Ryan, who's only played 13 years. Matt's been sacked 410 times. So, obviously that's less than Brady, but he's averaging uh, getting sacked more times a year than Brady up to this point. He's uh, been sacked 31 times a year on average and the last three years as he's becoming more of a, a senior quarterback has been sacked at least 40 times in the last three years Woof. so that was sort of my argument too it's just like brady has been more well protected 
I think Brady was only sacked 21 times this year. And Matt hasn't. And eventually that shit's going to catch up with him, either mentally or physically. And I think, I, I believe, and I have no evidence to back this up other than the eye test, that, you know, that started to have oh, these, these, these pressures, these sacks, these bad offensive lines that we've had. The ghosts are catching up with Matt a little bit. You can also, you know, Dirk Cutter's offense, we've been through this a million times, but when you really break down the, those numbers like that, I mean, you're taking a beating every year, and that's gonna you you will not be as durable as you are the more you age if you keep taking punishment like that. Which which is why once again it's critical for for uh, this offensive line the young pieces to continue to grow, and it's also critical for Fontenot if he's not going to bring back Alex Mack to find a damn good center. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that those sack numbers went up so much the last couple of years with. Alex Mack being hurt really ever since the Super Bowl and just old. Like he hasn't been nearly what he was in those first couple of Pro Bowl seasons. So I do think you got to move on from Alex Mack and hope Hennessy's the guy, but like supplement it with either a pick at number four or another veteran in like the Chris Chester mold that we did a couple years ago. Just a very solid veteran piece and free agency and go from there. But I mean, it's amazing that Matt Ryan hasn't missed more games in his career despite all of that. So, I mean, the durability is definitely there. And I mean, it's why I still have hope that he can be a successful quarterback. That has nothing to do with Brady though. I mean, Brady is Brady is Brady. Yeah. Brady's a freak and Brady's always been protected. I think he's only been sacked 40 times or more twice, I believe is, is, is the stat. Whereas Matt's been sacked 40 times or more, I think five times. Um, and to have this happen at this stage in career, three back, you know, back to back to back seasons with getting sacked at least 41 times is just nuts. It does not, it does yeah. not spell uh, good fortune for the future of Matt Ryan. But potential for improvement. Oh, of course. I just mean more so for his health and then his, you know, actual ability to continue playing. Oh, sure. As sure. a quarterback. I, I hear you there. Yeah. But. Enough Falcons talk, Adam, unless you, you want to talk more about anything uh, as it relates to Falcons or football or whatever. Uh, no, I'm good on football and Falcons. Excited to see which direction you want to take this podcast, Graham. All right, let's talk about Ozuna because you're you're the Ozuna guy. I, I, I'm, I'm very just, excited we got Ozuna. I, I know, I know. Well, Adam uh, kept telling me at the Super Bowl thing that we went to at near the end of the night, every five minutes, he's just like, dude, I'm so glad we got Ozuna. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then five minutes later, the same thing. It was, it was pretty funny. Well, Ozuna was, was on my mind. I, I was, I was just ecstatic about it when I found out about it Friday night, I called you and you just, I was very disappointed in your reaction to the Braves getting Ozuna. I was very tired. Well, you know, the Braves signing Marcel Ozuna, like we've got a Braves team it's a big it's deal. It's a big deal. Like, we've got a Braves team yeah. with a lot of very young, controllable pieces locked up who was just one game away from the World Series. Who, I mean, almost beat, like, the team of the decade, or like the millennia in the Dodgers. And we have this huge bat who so many times in the past we've seen the Braves not make the move to bring this guy back. 
And this time, not only do they do it, but they do it at a, what seems like an unbelievable deal for me in four years, $65 million. And the other thing that's exciting about that number is when you break down the per year, he's only making $12 million this year where, remember last year he was making $18 million on that one-year deal. So what that's telling me is we got more money to spend. I think I've seen we still have like $20 million to go to reach the payroll from last year. So I'm sure Ozuna's price came down with like the DH is still at this point not going to be a thing in 2021 which is really dumb, and we need to talk about that, Graham. But we still got room to make a move for Shane Green, who's still out there, Melanson, who's still out there. We still need to bring in a fourth outfielder or a guy who plays left in case the DH does come out. But it, it shows me that the Braves start to go a little more all-in. They're, they're pushing their chips in a little more. We're still holding on to all those prospects, but I mean, not having Ozuna at the beginning of this year would have been just a travesty. Like, it, we, we would have still been a fine team, but yeah, you can't take that bat away from behind Freddie Freeman. Yeah, you're getting significantly worse if you don't bring back Ozuna. I don't really give a shit about having Adam Duvall back at that much, even though he did have a good year last year. He still plays solid defense. But with the reports coming out that baseball is trying to nerf the home run ball a little bit with the new baseballs they're making for the season, I don't necessarily need Adam Duvall um, to survive or anything like that. Marcelo Zuna, we need to survive. Or you need to find someone to replace him. And, and this deal is fantastic. Marcelo is also very happy, uh, which is good. Like He wants to be here. He even said that his agent told him that there was an offer from the Rays that he didn't really like multi-year offer and he was like let's see what the Braves say and then Anthopolis they apparently hadn't been talking really throughout the offseason according to uh Ozuna and his agent and then a couple of days before this deal was announced uh, I was uh Anthopolis sent the deal over and that was that and there was like no negotiation apparently and this is where Marcel's uh, wanted to be the whole time which is a stark contrast from how he sort of left um, the season last year when he when he posted on social media saying thanks for the memories and blah blah it, it, blah blah blah. I just felt very much like this is the end of my tenure with the Braves. So it, it, this whole thing was very shocking to me that it happened. One that the Braves actually made a move to solidify themselves as contenders, and two that Marcelo Zuna wanted to come back. I, I mean, I always thought he was happy here. But that social media post just told me that, oh, I'm going to go get some lucrative deal from the Dodgers or somebody and uh, goodbye Atlanta. Well, it, it sounds like, A, I'm amazed you remember that social media post. I completely forgot about that. But it it sounds like you, you just read into it a little bit too much because like he was literally saying, thanks for the memories of a great season. That was fun. Well, usually uh, you look for the subtext, not the text. And uh, in, this, in this case... I guess there was no subject. Yeah, I was, th this is a weird route for us to go. Have you seen this Britney Spears documentary on Hulu? Uh, no, that's quite I, I random. Was, wait, it's relatable. I was. I'm sure you're going to tie it back in, but that's the last thing I was, I I was expecting to hear. <laughs> I you was bullied in my head. I was like, do I even talk about this? So, Veronica was watching this last night, and I was, 
I believe I was watching the Hawks game while she was watching that, but I was in the same room trying to pay attention. And it was this whole thing about how, I guess over the last couple of years, her father has had control over her entire career and financials and all of that. And Britney fans would just like, she'd post these weird things on Instagram and messages that make no sense, but seem kind of just like positive, but people are trying to read the subtext and there might like, like she's reaching out for help, but not directly. So I feel like that's what you did with the Marcel Ozuna text. And really it wasn't just you, it was all of Braves Twitter, but, uh, you were, you were trying to free Britney, hashtag free Marcel. But yeah, it, it is, I feel like that's always been my hope with these free agents, really for all of our teams. It's like, oh, maybe they want to come to Atlanta because it's like a great place to live. You know, so many athletes come here like on one-year deals, get traded, and they, they seem to have a great time. And, you know, maybe they'll give us like the hometown discount just because they want to play in Atlanta, but it never happens. I think I hope the same thing with Donaldson, but it, it kind of happened with Ozuna this time. And like Ozuna's just like the Donaldson thing. Donaldson was thirty-five, I think, and wanted the I think thirty-four. 34. Yeah, yeah so close completely enough. different. Like he wanted the four or five-year deal that the Braves were not willing to shell out. And like I mean, he was already injured last year. He's going to be thirty-eight at the end of his four-year deal. Whereas Ozuna, he like he just turned thirty. He's going to be 34, and we didn't even mention we have a fifth-year team option. So at the end of the four years with Ozuna, like if he's still raking, if we have a DH, which, you know, that that seems to – like everyone agrees we're going to have a DH, like really after this next year, then it's like a no-brainer team option. Boom, we got Marcelo Ozuna for the fifth year. So it's just – I mean, it's a win all around, and – uh, it's going to be a fun, fun five years with Acuna and Ozuna, and hopefully, you know, Freddie's extension should be the next thing coming. And as we saw with this signing, it's just classic Anthopolis. Just like rumors don't matter. Like you hear all these ridiculous rumors saying Braves are trading for Arenado, Ozuna's going somewhere. You're not going to know most of the things the Braves are doing until it's like officially released by the team. And that's that's how this was. And I'd imagine that's how it's going to be for the Freddie extension as well. Yeah, is Freddie's contract up after this year? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that'll, that'll definitely need to get done soon, one would think. And like you were saying before when we were first talking about this, one would think that if we just signed Ozuna for $12 million this year, there's got to be some money left over to make a move, whether that's in free agency to bring someone else in here uh, with or multiple moves uh, to get, you know, hopefully Shane Green or Melanson or both or make a trade for a guy like Jose Ramirez, who, according to the rumor mill, we've been kind of linked to. But we just, you know, not to go against what Adam's saying, but if uh, in terms of the rumors never coming to fruition and that everything's done and there are not like hardly any leaks from Alex Anthopoulos and his team, but getting a guy like Jose Ramirez at third base would be huge. Absolutely huge in terms of taking this offense to the next level. And I don't know. I know the offense was great last year, but if you bring in Jose Ramirez, you are turning into maybe not quite a Dodgers like offense where like 
one through eight, you're unstoppable, but you're pretty damn close. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, obviously, Austin Riley is the question mark at this point in our. I would gladly include him in the deal if he has any market value. Yeah, but I mean, there was. I also saw recently that the Indians have no interest in trading Ramirez. So I, I don't want to get too into that, but I think. Do you remember the supposed like offer that it would take to get Ramirez from the Braves? I think it was Riley and Drew Waters and someone else. It's going to take four four young prospects, which I'm I'm, fi- I'm fine, fine with doing it, and yeah. I'm fine trading Riley. I like he still could turn into something. He's still he's he's Austin Riley is kind of like the Cam Reddish of the Braves. A lot of raw potential, but looks terrible on a lot of nights as well. But, you know, Justin Turner's still out there. Like, Anthopolis's history has kind of been more free agency signings. Like, maybe we do another a one-year deal with a Justin Turner, something like that. that yeah, in particular with his with his stint here. He was known more as a, as a trade guy when he was with Toronto. But, yeah, here he's been more about free agents. I think he learned his lessons from those trades with Toronto. Well, I don't even know if there was, like, as much of a lesson to learn there. I mean, I think there was at least, you know, I would say with the trades Anthopolis made when he was in Toronto, he did go for it. And his team team, I think got to the ALCS that one year where they did uh, trade away a lot of prospects and whatnot, but it has been a different philosophy here. And one size certainly doesn't fit all. Um, And I think also that Toronto team was getting near the end of its core, being able to compete so they were more aggressive, bringing in more established players. Whereas with us, we have this young core of, you know, Ozzy and Acuna. And I'd say even though Freddie's getting older, Freddie's still in the prime of his career. All these young pitching prospects, et cetera. So it's, it's a little bit of a different ball game, no pun intended, for Anthopolis here than it was in Toronto. Do you take any – did you see the latest projections for where the Braves will finish? Yeah, I saw something – some whack-ass company released uh, – projections that said the Mets would be 30 games over 500 and the Braves would be three they get like 82 and 79 or something which I think is just ludicrous I I can't remember what the name of this these people are but they they use basically they they look at the players and not what the team has done in the past so and and they've got us horribly wrong the last three years like they, they keep having us finishing like third or fourth so I think it's a good sign that they have us finishing fourth again but some of their explanation for the projections for this year were that you know both freddie and marcel just hit way above and beyond anything that is reasonable to expect them to be able to play going forward which i mean is fair like i you don't you don't expect those Freddie doesn't need to be an MVP for us next year and just put up the ridiculous numbers that he did last year. Yeah, you could also make the same argument for Darno. He could regress from what he did last year. I mean, he was an offensive force, and who's to say he's going to you know, do the same thing again uh, this coming year? Yeah, there's, but, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of question marks. Like, is Pache, yeah. is, is he going to be the guy offensively? I don't, I, we, I don't, we don't know. Really, I don't think we, he's going to be the guy. I don't think he's going to be the guy, but I mean, from what I what I saw last year, particularly in that NLCS, like we talked about, his ability to work a count was stupendous, and that can only get better. 
and hopefully his uh, power can develop and ability to make contact can develop. I, I don't need Christian Pache to be the guy. I just need him to be solid and play good defense and develop while, you know, guys like Acuna, Ozzy, Freddie, Marcel, and hopefully Darno again can carry the offense. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. There, there are question marks there, but I think we got better as a pitching staff for sure. With bringing in Morton. And uh, I, I still don't know what to think of Smiley, even though his peripherals were good last year. He still didn't see a lot of action, so we'll, we'll see what he does. But getting a healthy Mike Soroka back, that hope, hopefully he doesn't get hurt again. You know, and, you know, Max Freed, obviously, is the bulldog of the staff. And Ian Anderson proved that he's ready. Bryce Wilson, I don't know if he's ready, but, you know, that one game against the Dodgers was an all-world performance. Hopefully he can build on that even though that was kind of an anomaly-like performance. But there's enough pieces here to contend for a title. The problem is that the fucking Dodgers just signed Trevor Bauer. So it's like, it just it only gets harder. We beat Bauer in the playoffs once, although the yeah, Reds but, had like a historically bad offense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, can you imagine, like, Bueller, who I know we also beat in the playoffs, Kershaw, who I know we also beat in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so even like, come, still, come on. it's like facing all three of those guys back-to-back-to-back to back to back is insane in a playoff series. Like, that, that is uh, one of the best three-headed monsters you could think of. Yeah, well, the Dodgers aren't going to be too excited about having to face us with Mike Soroka pitching two games when we when we took him to seven games in the last series. So Right, so it'll be a totally different uh, We're not, we're not going to be running Kyle year. Wright out there, unless Kyle Wright turns into a stud this year. Who knows? Sure. But you, you you know what else we got, Graham, that we did we haven't discussed yet? We hmm. got a new coach. New coach for the yeah. Braves? What the hell are you talking yeah. about? Uh a new hitting instructor. Oh. Like hitting instructor? Oh, 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 I know what you're talking about. Ma- yeah, maybe Shipper. you've heard maybe you've heard of him. Yeah, Chipper Jones. Right, Can right. You recognize the name? I vaguely remember the name, Adam. Can you refresh? me and the users on the significance of one Larry Wayne Jones Jr. Yeah, so this guy he played he actually played for the Braves. Really? He was yeah, he was drafted in 1990, I believe. And he came up and he actually won a World Series with us. I, I, was that 95 that we won the World Series? Yes. And then from there, he went on to be, I don't know, like the greatest or second greatest player to ever wear a Braves uniform of all time. Yeah, it's starting to come back now a little bit. Played switch third hitter. base, was a switch hitter, yeah. Came out to Crazy Train, Ozzy Osbourne. Right, right, right. I was, I was thinking you were talking about Raphael Billiard, but yeah. Chipper Jones, I'm a lot more excited about being a hitting instructor than Raphael Billiard. Yeah, so he's coming in. He, he's kind of like gone to spring training before and like just a part-time capacity, but I guess he, I mean, he's just, he wanted to get more involved and I can't remember who was on the radio was talking about it. Someone on 92.9, it's just like, you, you know, with hitting coaches, is like, like Seitzer probably resonates with a lot of guys, but it, it helps to have another set of eyes and like Chipper's legitimately good at, you know, teaching players how to hit so adding ozuna and chipper is you know that's that's a plus to me graham it's, you know if we did get the dh 
would 48 year old Chipper Jones be able to contribute at all? Would be my question. I'm sure he could, man. Like, I'm sure he's still a better hitter than like Charlie Culberson. I bet he'd still hit above 200. He hit like 215 or something, but he he could do he could do something. Yeah, man, if, if we it, like his career might have been extended a couple of years if he did play in the AL or if we had the DH and Oh yeah, AL. he wouldn't have gotten hurt nearly as much. He wouldn't have uh, tore his ACL or whatever he did in 2010 when he made that off-balance throw. And then he would have been in the playoffs and we could have beaten the stupid Giants. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's cool to have Chipper and and I hope it's more it's cuz I remember I think the year after he retired, he was sort of in a special advisory capacity with the Braves, and he would come down and work with like BJ Upton and Justin Upton and Chris Johnson, and and you know every once in a while, be you know you could see him a bad practice Turner Field going through things with guys. But I hope this is a little more involved. I hear I heard this is also still in kind of a part time capacity, but the good news is is that it's it's gonna I think it's gonna be more focused because. He was, did the ESPN thing last year as a commentator, not doing that anymore. So hopefully, even if he's not at every game or anything like that, he's able to come by two, three times a week, have sessions with guys, and be that extra pair of eyes for Seitzer, like you were saying. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot more involved than what he's done in the past. So obviously not as major as Ozuna, but something I definitely felt worth mentioning. Um. And speaking of Charlie Col- Culberson, who I mentioned a little while ago, a lot of ex-Braves have moved on in the past couple of weeks. So Culberson's with the Rangers. Your boy Fulte got signed by the Rangers as well. Fulte's kind of a sad case because like he was a guy we just assumed was going to be a part of our staff going forward one of the big young guns and game one starter of the 2018 NLDS he gave us some of the best moments of our Braves fan career and some of the worst did you say he gave us some of the best moment like can you name one moment that stands out to you that Mike or Mike Fultonavich did over I don't know uh chipper hitting two home runs on his bobblehead night or ripping a walk-off double down the line in the 2001 NLDS or Andrew Jones making this the spider catch um or Greg Maddox pitching a complete game in under two and a half hours like what, what the hell would Mike Fultonavich do that constitutes to be one of the that constitutes as one of the best memories of your Braves watching career that's that that's a, that's hyperbolic to me I'm glad you're coming in hot with your just like how sure of yourself that I have no examples how about game two of the 2019 NLDS against the Cardinals. Me, you, and your mom are there watching the game, and he pitches seven shutout innings, and it's just absolutely dominant to get us back in that series. Yeah, that was good. Can you think of another... Can you think of multiple moments with Mike Fultonavich? What do you mean that was other good? Other than the head, we're, the, we're, head case, the head case shit never getting consistent. We're high-fiving people left and right. They're, the energy is just pulsing of through course. our bodies. That's Adam, one moment. As Adam Duvall hits that homer to give us the lead, that's that was Adam an amazing Duvall, moment. That is one yeah. of the that is one of the better moments of like me being at a game. Okay, is getting that like we, we thought we were going to get shelled. It, it, the shelling happened like four days later when we ran him out there for game five, and that would be one right. Of the worst then you moments. look at that, and that yeah. that is the microcosm of Mike Fultonavich's Braves career. 
greatness at times, but he can never put it together fully. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I'm glad we're moving on. Uh, That's a fair but, point in terms of like that. Yeah, that was a great moment. Sure. That was a huge moment. Yeah. But yeah, he, he also signed with the Rangers. Darren O'Day has got his deal with the Yankees. Adam Duvall, who I, I kept thinking we were going to bring Duvall back. He, he signed with the Marlins this year for four and a half million, which was more than he would have gotten from us. So yeah, that's overpaying too. So I'm I'm fine with if like if that's what he got, good for him. But we don't need to be paying Adam Duvall that money. We, I mean, we got to get. Uh, I think it's going to be the Nick Markakis show again this year, Graham. Jesus God, at this point. I mean, like. Ozuna, obviously notorious for the less than great defense in left field, and with but you know no- what the problem is, Adam. If we do that, is that if we bring back Marcakis, my fear is that he's going to get playing time over Pache, which I simply do not want. If you bring him back as a guy who's going to come in as a defensive replacement for Ozuna, and he's a pinch hitter, particularly if we're not getting a DH this year. That's a win. That's huge um, to me, particularly from the pitch hitting standpoint, because I know his defense isn't what it used to be, but he's still you know, decent. But if he's brought back and expected to be an everyday starter again, and you look at all his stats against left-handers and all that shit, I do not want another full year of Marcakis, as much as I like him as a starter in the Braves lineup. Yeah, no, I don't think even the craziest of Braves Twitter nuts – no one would think that if we signed Marquecas that he would be taken, especially with the defense. Like, we need Pache in center to shade over and kind of erase Ozuna's uh, inabilities out there a little bit. So if he's yes. coming, it's going to be to be a late-inning defensive replacement, pinch-hitting, like you said. But Ender is still on this roster as well. Oh, God, I forgot all about Ender. I, I, I completely forgot about Ender until you – I started talking about Marcakis, so I'm okay He's with Ender. He's got zero, zero trade value, Ender. I, I, yeah, we really should have traded Ender like four years ago. But I really, I don't know, I, I prefer Marcakis over Ender, I'll say that much. From a pinch hitting standpoint, absolutely. Defensive standpoint, Ender's still a better defender than Marcakis, so it's sort of a pick-your-poison kind of thing. But if someone goes down in the outfield, you much rather have Marquecas playing every, every day than NCRT. I give Marquecas a lot of shit about not being able to hit lefties that well. But Ender, he makes uh, Ender makes Marquecas look like Chipper Jones against left-handers. Not the best of options. I think there's still some more veteran names out out there that we wouldn't be as familiar with. But don't be surprised if we have a Nick Marquecas signing in the next week or two. I mean, spring spring training's like nine days away, something like that, which is exciting. But, yeah, we, we still a couple holes to fill, but we, we filled that huge one with Ozuna. While we're on baseball, Graham, I, I got something to bring up that I, might get you a little heated. Cool. So if you'll recall, 2020 is, is a strange year. So baseball made, like, some new rules, some of which people liked some of which people hated. And like the four main ones that are popping up for me are the seven inning doubleheaders. Hated. The universal DH. Liked. The expanded postseason. Loved. And the runner on second for extra inning games. 
video game baseball. And with this new agreement that the players union has come out with to basically start the season on time, they agreed on the number of games. I think it's like 152 instead of 162. Of those four things where, you know, exactly the way you said it, I think most baseball fans would agree. Everyone loved Universal DH. It's a no-brainer. Fans loved expanded postseason. I under I, I can kind of see the player's side on that one for not wanting it. But then, you know, the runner on second, seven inning games. And they went with the seven inning games, runner on second. That is happening in 2021. There will be no expanded postseason and no DH in the NL. So it's just kind of funny that the two least popular are the ones that are sticking around. It's just crazy to me how I can understand from the player standpoint, not wanting to do two back-to-back nine inning games. It's little league bullshit, but I can understand that the guy on second is just a stupid rule. Even if you get to do it when you uh, come up the next inning, if you're the home team, it's still one of those things where it just puts so much pressure on the pitcher immediately, and that base is unearned. One thing I, one of the things I love about baseball, about all sports, is earning a victory, earning a victory, without ar- arbitrary bullshit. Putting a guy on second, while yes, it can make it more dramatic and exciting, is arbitrary bullshit. To make it more dramatic and exciting, it's not earned. It's not earned, and that's just goes against the philosophy and the joy of sport. Well, it's. I'm sure we had this argument like eight months ago, but it's it's no different than overtime of college football. Yeah, it's not earning. I like that. I also think that overtime football should just be you play a quarter and whoever's winning the goddamn game at that point wins. Why Mickey Mouse it? You know, I don't, I don't get that. Or have a slightly reduced time limit. Make it seven minutes, cut it in half, seven or eight minutes as opposed to 15 minutes. It's just silly. You haven't played the game the whole way. Baseball is the only game, the only game that used to keep its rules intact when it goes into overtime, with the exception of sudden death. But it makes sense because you play nine innings, shit's got to end at some point. So now, you like, the ba- you like the basketball approach. Just throw whatever amount of time on the clock, and that's it. Yes. Well, and for base, yeah, I like that for football. Yeah. Um, for baseball, the rule was fine as it is. I don't but, understand. But you understand why you understand why they are not doing really it. to make it more exciting. Like no, I said, no, no, no. So that, so you don't end up with like a twenty-one inning game or anything. But that's like that. great, man. That's oh, one of the no, best parts about brutal. baseball. I love those it. It's a brutal. war of attrition. I, I hate nothing more than like our game. What was that? was that game one against the Reds where it went what? Like 15, 16 innings. That was great. That was some of the most dramatic baseball you've worst, ever watched. That was the worst five hours of my life. I, oh, yeah, I it, was, it was awful, but when you won, you fucking earned it. It wasn't given to you. You earned, the Braves earned that win. Well, you would have earned a win with a runner on second, too, man. I, I don't know. You don't earn but, that shit. It's given to you, and it makes it a hell of a lot easier for the offense. It's bullshit. Well, watching it, there were plenty of times where people didn't get that runner from second in, so you still which have to made it cool because it, it there's more room for drama to me in those moments because of the players having to earn, really truly earn that victory as opposed to saying, "Oh, here's a guy in second. 
fuck that, man. It's just it's a silly ass rule. I will stand by that. No one can ever dissuade me from my opinion on this one. <laughs> so you're completely closed minded to ever changing your mind. I'm usually very open minded in terms of trying to accept uh, or even not accept, but hear what other people have to say. And if I don't agree with them, this is one of those instances where I cannot do that. That is very apparent, Graham. Very apparent. Yes. I, I, I do no one. I don't know. If, I, I would like to hear from anyone that is more heated on the rudder on second rule in playoff baseball during a shortened pandemic season than my co-host, Graham Waldrop. I don't, I don't think the person exists. No, I don't think they do either. I, I, I got. I could talk about this all day and probably just say the same thing over and over again. Kind of right, like right. Now, yeah, I, I think. I think we're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good here. But if anyone wants to hit me up, uh, I, I will engage, and <laughs> I will not be. You, you can debate me all day. You can present the greatest counterpoints you can possibly imagine. I don't care. I will listen to you, but you will not sway me. So you will hear them, but not listen to them. Yes. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna put together a formal argument and see if we see if we can do this. We'll yeah, do, put together it, a formal it, put together a fucking committee for all I care. See see what happens. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get like Sarkeesian heated when this topic comes up. And uh, yes, yes, I do. And it's more about Dan Quinn picking Sark than it is about Sark himself. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, I feel like great. Sark tried his little butt off. Nope, we're not. We're, nope, we're not. We're not going down that road. Damn it, Dan Quinn. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for a week where there's no news because we still got plenty of news to go over, Graham. Yeah, we'll do a Sark retrospective. <laughs> I, I, can I get a sub for that week? Who could sit in for me? You can get ex-intern Jared to, to sit in. Or is it now? Or, is, or are we hiring him back? Did we, did, did we decide on that? No, nah, I don't think he's hired. I, I think we're kind of just flirting with him about the position, but... Right, he's definitely he's definitely not hired. But yeah, if you ever want to do like a big Sarkeesian segment, I will gladly tap out and let Jared try to be on the other end of that. Sounds good. Oh, let, let's talk about not having the universal DH. This is one of the rules that's driven me crazy about baseball for my entire life. You know, National League raised obviously as a Braves fan, I was always like, the DH is stupid, blah blah blah. But over the years, I was like, well, why, just, why can't it just be consistent? Why can't it just be, if you have the DH, it's for everyone. If you don't want to have the DH, the American League doesn't get one anymore. This is such a dumb rule. And it's going to result, I guarantee, in some pitcher getting hurt or some bull, you know something happening that could have been avoided from an injury standpoint because pitchers have to hit in the National League now. It makes no sense. And we saw last year how great it was for everybody. Everybody enjoyed it. Like, it was universally liked. I don't understand why the Players Union wouldn't be all about this, particularly pitchers in the Players Union. Well, I, that's a, that's the weird thing, is I think both sides are about it. Brad Rowland always talks about this. I haven't fully understood. understood. They're, both the players and the owners are using it as a bargaining chip. Oh, Jesus. But, but they both want it, so it's not really a bargaining chip. So, like, the owners throw it out there, we'll give you a universal DH if you give us expanded postseason. But 
the players are like, look, we know you want universal DH as well. So that doesn't count as a bargaining chip at all. You just want the expanded playoffs for the extra revenue where the players don't want to do that. So, right. That's all it is. Like one more year. And I agree. Yeah. It's possible. Someone might get hurt, likely a brave and will be very upset about it. But who knows? It's only February 11th. These, they keep changing things left and right. So it's like almost, it's like a month and a half till the season. It could still happen. And if it still happens, that would be amazing for the Braves. Because A, we got the discount on Ozuna for not having it. And if if it happens this year, then that's just an amazing bonus to just plug him into the DH spot and go find some left fielder. Throw Drew Waters out there for all I care. Right. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it is silly. All the fans want it. You know, it's like they're trying to get younger viewers in. People like the home run ball, even though, like you said, they're trying to decompress that with the ball. But it's it's dumb, but, you know, that's kind of the state of baseball right now. And with that, Graham, it seems like a good time to transition to our Hawk segment. Lovely, lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hawk, there for the squeal. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, in the past week, the Hawks have played three games since we spoke. Well, technically, they were playing the last time against the Jazz, but that one turned out as predicted. Uh, That was with no Trey Young, no DeAndre Hunter, no Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, and obviously no Chris Dunn, because I was thinking about it today. Chris Dunn, how do you like this comparison, Graham? Chris Dunn is the new um, Cole Hamels of the Hawks. Yeah, he still hasn't played, right? Right. We keep hearing about him. He's a savvy veteran, but no end in sight for when he actually sees the court. So hopefully he has a, he has a longer Hawks career than... Cole Hamels did with the Braves. But yeah, it turned into a 112 91 loss. So obviously, with Trey Young out, you're like, oh, we got this, you know, backup point guard, Rajon Rondo. He's done some things in his career. It's his time to step up. He went 0 for 7 shooting, did have six rebounds and eight assists. I think he played like 20, 20 something minutes. And he was a minus 28 overall on the plus minus scale. So. Yeah. Rondo did not step up. The The only other really thing, the only positive from this game was Tony Snell, who he was one of these many veterans we signed this offseason, and he's kind of been getting back into playing shape. And he had 12 points off the bench, four or five shooting, four or four from three. And he's, he's really rounding into form and... I'll save him a little bit more for once we talk about the Mavs game from last night, which Graham actually watched, which so I'm very excited to discuss the Hawks game with Graham. But he's he's just a solid veteran uh, three point shooter. I mean, four of four. He's, he he doesn't take a lot of shots, but when he does, they're good uncontested shots. So keep an eye out for Tony Snell. Uh, Clint Capella that game was terrible, three of fourteen. So he. Did not step up either. 
we had a rare win in this current streak we have going against the Raptors. So 132-121 win. All starters were in double-digit scoring. Trey Young, 28-13. and 13. Gallinari, efficient shooting off the bench. He ended up with 14. And, you know, kind of just looking back at this box score, it's, it's kind of like you're, this is what you're going to see from a Hawks win. You're going to see efficient scoring from Capella, plus huge rebounds. He had 16 rebounds that game. You're going to see Trey get to the line a lot. He was 14 of 14 from the line. And Cam Reddish actually being a positive on the court. He was a plus eight overall. And if he can just not kill us offensively, like having his defense out there is just huge for this Hawks team right now, especially with Hunter being out. So that Raptors game, it was like a rare light in the tunnel of what this Hawks season has become. And now Graham, I'll get to you because you were, the Hawks were on ESPN last night. So you were able to watch and we played the Dallas Mavericks last night. Pretty brutal 117-118 loss. My, my quick takes from the game, you know, John Collins was a beast. 33 points, 8 rebounds. He was a plus 11 overall in what was a one-point loss. So that tells you just how good he was while he was out there. And overall on the season now, dude's shooting 40.7% from three. So he, he, which is, he was starting to learn that three-point shot a little bit last year, but not not to this extent. And Cam Reddish, once again, brutal, Graham. So you got to see Cam Reddish. What are your thoughts? Well, I thought of Cam Reddish was, holy shit, that first play. Got a nice pass from Herter and dunked it. I was like, all right, explosion time. And then the rest of the game, he disappeared. Uh, seven points across 27 minutes, only two of seven from the field. And didn't even really get, didn't really do anything else to contribute. You know, one of the things I always look for in a player that sometimes is offensively challenged or is entirely offensively challenged, which I'm not saying Cam is, but he has a tendency to be, is what else are you doing to help? Are you getting rebounds? Are you playing good D? And yeah, he played some decent defense, got two steals, but... Only got one board, and just whenever he did take a shot, they were just bricks. Really bad-looking shots. And uh, I was not, you know, it was one of those times when you when you watch him and you're like, you know, it was sort of like how we were talking about the microcosm of Mike Fultonavich's Braves career, which obviously is a hell of a lot more set in stone than Cam Reddish's career. But it was like, you know, you get the slam dunk at the beginning of the game, and you're like, man, this guy's explosive as hell. Look how they cut to the basket. What a move. And then he's just radio silent pretty much the rest of the basketball game. He doesn't even really contribute that much to the overall effort. Yeah, his confidence, it's like, I mean, full T comparison, spot on. It's like in disc golf when you feel really good about yourself, you're making some putts, like you're just throwing it straight down the middle. And then, you know, you throw at Anheuser when you want to. You're like, oh, this hole's to the right. Let me throw a little Annie. All, all, all those things. Like, you got it going. And then you just aren't paying attention and miss one short putt. And then that completely throws your game off. That, that's, that's what Cam Reddish is right now. So, 
we'll keep giving him patience. But he was 0 for 4 from 3, and there was one point. So the Mavericks went on an 11-0 run, which was it was it was the that was the game right there. Was the, uh, Tim Hardaway, ex Hawk, yeah. Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jalen Brunson were just. It was like it was one of those things too, where Porzingis and Luca, uh, you know, particularly. I mean, Luca still had a great game, triple double, but Hardaway gets 16 points off the bench. Willie Colley-Stein also got 14 points off the bench, and damn Jalen Brunson with 21 points off the bench won that game for the Mavericks. I mean, those guys were unconscious in the second half. Yeah, at one point, they were, uh, like in that run, they were like 6 of 6 from 3, so like you can't even be too mad about it. Like They just shot lights out. But in the middle of that run, like I think you know Tim Hardaway just made one, Jalen Brunson just made one, Hawks coming back on offense, need to break out of this. They've got excellent ball movement. A ball gets to Cam, wide open three, shoots in transition, and just bricks the hell out of it. And it's like, oh, Cam. It just takes any momentum away that you could have gained back. And it's just, it's not there right now. On the year, he's shooting 25.5% from three, 36.3% overall. I'm and, amazed that it's that high overall, even though that's not very high at all. I'm amazed it's at that position. That's that's pretty damn low for <laughs> overall yeah. shooting. And I thought he'd be shooting like 20% from the floor of the way. You know, I look at these stat lines or I listen to the games, you know, most of the time, and I'm just well, like, Jesus. He's, he's always like one of eight, two of nine, three of 12, you know, yeah. with the occasional good game sprinkled in. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, with that, like he has had a couple really good games, and maybe that's what brings it up to 36.3%. But, like, as you saw last night, Tony Snell, he was on the court in the fourth quarter. And I, Tony Snell, on the year gram, shooting 53.8% from three. Yeah, it's pretty solid. He was two of two last night. Hit a, or yeah, two of two from three last night. And uh, both three pointers were pretty big. Pretty solid. From what 53.8%. I remember. That's like. That's a great, that's a great club. No one does that. Obviously, that's not sustainable, but. No, and he hasn't, probably hasn't taken that many threes considering he's a bench player. And I know he missed a portion of the season, right? So that, that'll regress. But, you know, he's definitely been an asset off the bench, particularly when you don't have, you know, we didn't have Gallinari for a little while, don't have Bogdan, um, you know, or Chris Dunn. Not to say Chris Dunn's a, uh, you know, great shooter or anything, but a lot of pressure has had to fall onto him. He's the seventh man, if anything, right now. So he uh, he played pretty well last night for what his role is. Yeah, and we, we've seen a guy we haven't talked about as much as Kevin Herter. Like I was saying last week with DeAndre being hurt, someone needs to step up. Kevin Herter is that guy right now. Oh, he looked great, man. Are you kidding? Especially in the third quarter. I think he made three field goals in a row. In a row. Also, it's been interesting hearing and now then seeing Kevin Herter taking the ball up the floor quite a bit. And his court vision is getting better too. I mean, he dished out eight, uh, three assists last night, which isn't you know out of this world or anything. But he looks competent going up the floor and uh, distributing the ball. And I will say, even though that you know second half was a letdown a little bit for the Hawks last night, particularly Trey got cold. Uh, Capella didn't play very well last night either and got in some foul trouble. 
but very encouraged, and we already talked to death about Cam Reddish, but very encouraged seeing the progression of Kevin Herter. Looks like a totally different player out there. Also getting aggressive on the glass with eight boards. Uh, dropped 23 points overall. Shot four or seven from three. Really impressed by that young man in terms of his progression from being kind of this scared catch-and-shoot three-point shooter to now he's becoming a distributor. Now he's going to the he's crashing the boards. And he's shooting well from the floor, which we already knew he could do. But all of it's kind of coming together a little bit right now. And he's turning into a very, very solid player. Yeah, it was to the point last night when there's always like that transition where Trey has to sit some. And usually that's Rondo's time. I don't know if he was hurt. Where the hell was Rondo last night, by the Uh, way? He's always hurt. He's hurt again for Friday, like some knee issue. I don't know. So Rondo wasn't out there, and then they didn't play. Goodwin played a few minutes in the first half, but that's not a good time for Goodwin with six foot eight Luca, six seven Luca, or whatever he is. And Brunson's a pretty big dude as well. So when Trey was on the bench, Herder was the guy bringing the ball up and being the playmaker. And you know, it wasn't a great run, but it was like him and Gallinari trying to see if they can do anything. While Trey, yeah, hell, I mean, even even when Trey was on the floor, you know, Kevin brought the ball up a decent amount of the time. You know, Trey obviously brought it up more, but I, I kind of like that approach. It, sh- it mixes it up a little bit and allows, like you were saying over the last few weeks, uh, giving Trey the opportunity to work off ball, which uh, I think is important. Was Kevin, was he in the John Collins draft or the, he was in the Trey Young think draft, he was, right? I believe he was in the Trey Young draft. What an amazing draft that was, man. Like, Kevin, I, th- I think he was like 18 or 19th, but like he he's looking like he's a bona fide starter in the NBA. Like, yeah. He keeps developing I, at this clip. I mean, that's that's why I remember before our preseason talk, I was like, man, I don't know where there's minutes for Kevin Herter. And then, like, half the team's injured. So that's, that's why you got to have some depth. So um, thank God we got Kevin to still – keep us around in some of these games now two things i want to touch on first trey and his shot selection really getting sick of him pulling up from 60 feet and launching a three or whatever it is i don't know how far it is but you know he he's nowhere within the vicinity of where you should be shooting the ball yeah he's going to make some of those um but i think he takes those shots too often i really do and actually seeing it as opposed to hearing it for the first time this year, it just really upsets me because one of the things I really enjoyed seeing, particularly in the first half, uh, really the second quarter when the Hawks just dominated. Hawks outscored the Mavericks 30-19 to in the second half last night. One of the things I loved to see was the ball movement. There, was, there, was, there were so many possessions where there were quick passes. At least three people were touching the ball every possession. It was a lot of fun to watch. It felt like, you know, there wasn't, as much isolation going on there and we were getting the ball to open guys which is usually Collins on the inside who as we mentioned had an amazing game last night um but then there's other times when Trey will just come up the court and lackadaisically jack a 50 foot three or whatever however the hell far out he's he's out there and it's like that doesn't help even when he makes it it's not a good shot and he's not good enough of a shooter even though I know that's what he does to be taking three-pointers like that. I'm sorry. He's not a good enough three-point shooter to be to try and be Steph Curry right now. He only shoots 
36% from three-point range. you got to be shooting well over 40 if you're going to take a damn shot from 20 feet behind the damn three-point line. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, as you said, sometimes it does work out. Like he hit one when we were trying to go tit for tat with him with like a minute left. He did hit one. Like if 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 it's if it's a fluid shot, it's okay. But yeah, there, there's certainly plenty of times where it's like, what are you doing? That's just like completely stopping the offense. Yeah, particularly when the offense was in a rhythm. I mean, notice how I don't think Trey scored in the third quarter yesterday. So frustrating to watch that um another thing that frustrated me was capella not being in the game as much down the stretch only played 21 minutes i know a lot of that was because he was getting into foul trouble finished the game with five fouls uh for those that don't know you need six to foul out of a game and be disqualified but why isn't capella i feel like this has been a recurring theme where capella isn't at in the end of the at the end of the game this guy leads the league in rebounding that might be important when you're uh, trying to come back in a game like the Hawks were last night. Well, he he also just wasn't very good last night when he was on the court. So, I mean, a lot of no, it. No, but I I need him to be on the on the floor to get rebounds. Seven rebounds in 21 minutes is nothing to nothing to sneeze at. I hear you, but, I mean, I, I don't think Capella be, not being on the court was like, it's not like we were getting out-rebounded at the end of the game. Maybe he would have, may, maybe he would have helped with the defense, but he, he was he was pretty damn bad offensively. To the point where he's a detriment. Yeah, he didn't do much offensively, but I mean, like, well, the Gallinari sucked last night too. I mean, two of twelve shooting, one of seven from three. Took a lot of contested shots last night. Wasn't really getting as open as you as you like him to. Um, so the the tough thing about the Hawks right now, I think, considering all the injuries, is if. You know, your best bench player is Tony Snell, which he was last night. Finished with a plus four in terms of the plus minus. Gallinari was minus two. Uh, you, you're in trouble from a from a bench standpoint. And, you know, Cam Reddish can't have that effort uh, that we saw last night. I know that's going to happen, but there's a lot of holes right now. And it's going to be a really hard to tread water, like we've been saying, without DeAndre Hunter, who we just found out, even though we knew he was injured last week will miss somewhere between seven and ten weeks from this injury he sustained. So uh, Hawks are in trouble right now, and I think it would be wise as a fan you know, to temper expectations until DeAndre Hunter comes back, and hopefully it's not too late. I, I got the good news for you, Graham. All right. Chris Dunn is actually supposed to, like, he's moving around again. Okay. Bogdan... Supposed to be back possibly before the All-Star break. That would be a big lift for sure, particularly to, to spread out the offense. I mean, you looked at that second unit last night. Like when I mean, Trey only did not He was on the floor 42 minutes, but there was a particular period of time in the second quarter where he wasn't on the floor for a little bit, and that offense with the second unit just looked punchless. It was like, oh, God. Yeah. And with Gallinari, like Gallinari's not normally going to shoot that bad. No, usually like, he's very good. You don't see that, especially from three. So I'm, I'm happy to see Gallinari out there playing consistent minutes again. Like, he's, he's starting to look healthy. But, you know, if, if we get Chris Dunn and Bogdan back before DeAndre is healthy, like that, we, we just need one more player right now. 
Yeah, Cam Reddish though. I need I need to see a lot more out of him still. Let's let's give let's give some of his minutes to Snell at this point and just let Cam. Maybe Cam's more of a come off the bench guy. I don't know. It's tough to know what to do with Cam right now. And I think you need to give him another couple games at the starter role to not totally shatter his confidence and see what he can do. But if you know if he puts out two or three more performances like this in a row, he's got to be rele- relegated to the bench at that point. But he's also a guy like we talked about last week, so young, so much potential. You got to see if he can fight his way out of it. But damnation, it's frustrating that he hasn't been able to figure out that consistency yet. Yes, it's somewhat expected because he's so young. But it's sort of like uh, I'll use an example, and some users might disagree with this. But as a as a kid. I used to say, you know, if I couldn't figure anything out, I was an idiot. I was. I say this now, also. So why do I say that? Am I as a kid? I'd be like, I'm an idiot. I don't know why I can't figure this out. What? A, you know, I'd, I'd be very hard on myself. And my parents would get upset at me because they're like, if you were an idiot, we wouldn't give a shit. We let you be an idiot, but you're not an idiot. So stop, ta- you know, stop, you know, talking negatively about uh, yourself like that. Yeah. So that's how I feel about Cam Reddish. If Cam Reddish was supposed to suck. I wouldn't care, but because I know the potential he has, I, I I will be you know critical on him when he doesn't show up. But I also have to you know it's a little bit of a different scenario in terms of the metaphor, but it's kind of the same in a sense that you know we our expectations are are you know in terms of what he can be. We know what we have an idea of the player he can be because he showed us that. It's just finding that consistency. How can he do that? I don't know. He might not know right now. Nobody knows. But that's the reason I think that the Hawks, Hawks Nation is so upset a little bit with Cam right now is because we know he can be good. We know he can be uh, a good player. Well, and obviously the other big link is that Cam Reddish will forever be linked to Luka Doncic as well. Because we, we essentially gave up Luka for Trey and that pick, and that pick turned out to be Cam. So right. if Cam is just a complete bust, then, you know, I, I love Trey, but, I mean, Luca is... He's the he's, he's a better a player. player. He's a better player. Yeah. I, I think we can say that. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, Trey is also a great player. Sure. So if, if Cam turns out to be an all-star caliber player, then you could say we won that trade. But I think he's got it in him, but he's still, like, like you said, he's, what, 21 years old? Right. He's young. Um, yeah, that's – Cam's always going to have a big spotlight on him. Another thing we desperately need, Adam, is Rondo to actually play. Like, uh, even if he sucks, just to soak up 15 minutes a game. Trey Young playing 42 minutes uh, a night seemingly is, is not good. He played 42 minutes last night. I know he's had multiple games where he's played 40-plus minutes. I don't care how young you are. That's going to wear you down. Yeah, I mean, Rondo doesn't play because we do terrible when he's on the court for the most part, and we're trying to win some games. So that's why Trey's got to do that. So if Rondo wants to wake up and, you know, be a leader on the court along with off, off the court, I would – Totally support that, Graham. But th- those numbers I threw out in the game when Trey was out, like that's just ridiculous. 
0 of 7 shooting. Yeah. I mean, I remember in the third quarter, he came out, he sat for two minutes, and then the Mavs started going on a run, and then he was sent right back to the uh, officials section to check back into the game. I mean, it's like, um, I don't know. That's that's a tough scenario right now. And I don't know what you do to remedy it if Rondo's not up for it. Because, I mean, Brandon Goodwin only playing four. How, how many minutes does he usually play? 10 to 12 minutes yeah. with that. But I, I think, like I said, with, with that roster going against Dallas, that's just a tough matchup for him. Because their yeah. their point guards are their point guards are like big and kind of slow, so like Brandon Goodwin's good to have is like we needed a a smaller fast guy to open things up a little bit. So I mean I I, I didn't hate that Herder Gallinari combo. Like if you if you do like a Herder Gallinari and then either Capella or John Collins. I know Lloyd Pierce has kind of tried to keep either Capella or Collins out there when Trey's off the court. So. Gonna just have to keep mixing and matching. Are are we still in playoff? I think I as of last night anymore. we were we were seventh. Um, okay, I don't know where we're at now, which is about where we expected to be. But I, I, I think we we all know we're we're a better team than that at the same time. So yeah, we're eighth currently behind Charlotte. Okay, so we're not out of it. No, no. I think, like you said, getting Bogdan back will be big. What did you think of the the no call on Trey last night at the end of the game where he tried to set a screen, somebody runs into him, uh, then he's bitching and moaning at the end of the game that uh, should have been a foul called on the Mavericks? I was okay with it. <laughs> I, I think most most people thought it was egregious, but do you really want – because I think that would have sent us to the line. Do you really want a, a game ending like that? Yeah, and I don't think – yeah, especially with with the the position of the game. It's also, I don't know, you, you don't really see that call as often in basketball when someone doesn't have the ball. You know, usually calls like that come if someone you know plants themselves uh, like he's like he did, and someone runs into you and they have the ball. They'll, they'll you know nine times, you know, maybe not nine times out of ten, seven to eight times out of ten, whatever. Over 50% of the time, you'll get that call if you plant your feet right. If someone's got the ball and charges into you. How many times out of 20, Graham? How many times out of 20? Oh, let's say 13. 13 to 14 to 15 times out of 20? Yeah, maybe 18 to 19 to all the time out of 20. But, you know, you're you're way way more likely to see that call than an off-ball running to me as I'm trying to set a screen for a teammate, you know? You rarely ever see that. It's just not something that's really called. Um, so I didn't have an issue with it not being called in that scenario. One, because it was in the end of the game, and two, it's just kind of like, eh. It's just something I'm not used to seeing, which may be a shitty uh, reason, but very rarely do you have off-ball foul calls in general, unless it's just the most egregious thing you've ever seen in your life, or it's very clear. They, they had a terrible one on Capella earlier in the game where Capella did, like, nothing, and they called his fifth fifth foul on him yeah so that was that we, was a bullshit call we were sure. also due one but yeah i mean they it, could have it, it's they, tough yeah it, it seemed like it seemed like a decent play that was drawn up i think looks like he might have had collins for the um, alley-oop yeah collins was trailing alley-oop. towards the basket that would have been a tough uh 
that been a tough oop to to make though from there. Not to say he yeah, couldn't do it. A... Trey said the yeah. and the post game. Trey said the plan was to get the ball to him, but he fell over. So it was sort of like very improvised trying to get a Gallinari there for the last second shot. Wasn't a terrible. I mean, not a terrible look, but I I, I really wanted that one. Yeah, yeah, it was an entertaining game. Um, Hawks defense kind of evaporated a little bit down the stretch, but also as you mentioned. Tim Hardaway Jr. Jalen Brunson got incredibly hot down the stretch. I mean, like it was they were unconscious. They couldn't miss. So live and you learn and uh hopefully we pick it up for the next game. And I think we play San Antonio uh on Friday. I think that's the next game. That's all I got, Graham. Yeah, same here. I think that's it. No, it was fun watching a Hawks game. Hopefully I can do it again soon with uh which I doubt considering we never get a nationally televised game. It was fun. It's a good time. It was fun uh, actually being able to talk about the Hawks more than my just stray observations as opposed to actually watching the game. So I uh, hopefully I can do that again soon. You brought it tonight, Graham. Oh, yeah. Proud of you. Thank you. I, you, I, you know, I've, uh, I'm sore from you carrying – or you're sore from carrying me during the Hawks segments the whole damn season so far. So I had to try to give you some relief. Oh, yeah. J- just wait till football's back. You're, you're back up. Okay. This damn Arthur Smith doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's worse than Dan Quinn. What a loser. <laughs> I was listening back to an old podcast where you're talking about, like, all the other coaches we hired. I was like, I, I, I don't know who that is. No <laughs> thoughts. No opinion. Just keep talking, Graham. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, the one where I was talking about the, the new offensive and defensive coordinators or whatever and their their, their personnel. I still know nothing about Dave Ragone, so I look forward to learning about him and what he brings to the table. I'm going to take you through his life story next time we talk about him. It, still got to figure out how to pronounce his name correctly. Though. Yeah, Ragone, Ragione, Ragoni. We'll find out with the rest of you on a future episode of Atlanta Zone. We hope you guys are doing well out there, and thank you again for listening to the show. We're still not on Google Podcasts yet. I forgot to do that, so I'll try and do that this week not that any of you listen on google podcast but i will do it at some juncture until next time rise up chop on unite and conquer and remain true to atlanta hospitality hospitality